Good morning. How many, uh, how many of you like new stuff? Who likes new stuff? All right, a couple truthful people. The rest of you, your Amazon accounts say you're lying. I like new stuff. You know, there's, there, it's just fun. You get something new. It's like, ooh, it's exciting. And you get that little, like, visceral thrill when you see the, the Amazon package box outside your house. Like, yay! Like, new, I like new stuff. I, I recently got new glasses. Uh, I don't wear my old glasses anymore. I, for the first time in, like, I think it was, like, 10 or 11 years, I went to get my eyes checked and, uh, and get new glasses. Apparently, you should go more than that. Lesson learned. So I got new glasses. I don't wear my old ones. My old ones are sitting on my, on my dresser. I don't wear them anymore. I don't need them. My new glasses are better. They have an updated prescription, far, far fewer scratches, and the stems uh, on my new glasses aren't hanging on for dear life because of worn out hinges like my old glasses. I wear my new glasses. I don't have to wear my old ones anymore because my new ones are better. And we're going to look at that idea that idea of, of getting rid of the old and, and putting on the new as we continue our series enough on the book of Colossians. We're going to be picking up in chapter 3 today. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn to Colossians chapter 3. That's towards the end of your Bible. If you've got a Bible app uh, on your phone or on your iPad, you can feel free to follow along. We're going to read verses 1 to 14, Colossians chapter 3. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of the world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric or uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Since God shows you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. And Paul says a lot there. We're really going to kind of focus on this main idea in verses 9 and 10. And the NIV says it like this. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. You've taken off your old self, Put on your new self. I mean, this is an idea that we see throughout the Bible. This idea of being made new, of being transformed. And, and we see this exact same idea laid out in Ephesians 4, where Paul says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which has been corrupted by its deceitful desires. 
to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Take off the old self, put on the new self. That's what he's trying to hammer home. And what's he mean by self, right? How do we put on a new self that sounds at first glance like the plot to like a really scary horror movie? Like, how am I putting on a new self? I mean, some of this stuff, we're just like, this is what I got. This is what I got to work with. This is myself. Like, I can't be fundamentally different, right? Like, this is, this is me. I'm not going to suddenly be seven foot six just because I'd love to play in the NBA. I'm not seven foot six. So what does he mean by new self? He really means this idea of our nature, our fundamental characteristics, our traits, our behaviors, our feelings. Paul is saying that because of the work of Jesus, his death and resurrection, when we trust him, we're made new. We're transformed. It's like a spiritual fashion show. We take off the old stuff, the worn out, the outdated clothes, and we get to put on the fresh, new, vibrant clothes. We take off the old, put on the new. So what does that look like? in the context of our everyday lives. Because through Colossians to this point, Paul's been laying out some big ideas, some of these really big truths, and now he kind of drills down into one specific thing. Like, how does this functionally play out? Well, the first thing that he stresses is take off your old self. Take off your old self. Now, what's interesting is that's purposeful, active, intentional action there, right? It's you take off your old self. You have a, a role in this, right? You have something to do. It's not just let it happen. It's, it's participate in this. And he lays out a couple ways we do it. And he starts by saying, put to death sinful desires. Put to death sinful desires. Sinful desires are those things in our hearts that we long for, that we crave, that fall short of God's standard. Those things that are wrong, that are not of God. Those things that will lead us down a, a path to destruction. Those things that will poison us. Paul is saying here, put those to death. Those thoughts that start somewhere that we kind of surrender to and give control over to. And these sinful desires are those things that can guide and shape our lives that we get surrender more and more power to in our lives. One writer described the phrase put to death as meaning slay utterly. And if you're a word nerd like I am, and there maybe are three of us, I just love that. That sounds like it's straight out of like a Game of Thrones novel. Slay utterly. But listen how strongly he's talking about this. Put to death sinful desires. And he lists some. This is not an exhaustive list. This is not every sinful desire. But he hits big ones. He hits big ones that were an issue for him culturally. And he hits, frankly, ones that are equally an issue for us culturally. So sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, and idolatry. It's interesting that a number of these are sexual sin because that is often something that leads us astray. Because we can often think about this culture like, well, it's, it's something that's meant to feel good and I can use it however I want. And that's mine to use and to get out of what I want out of it instead of realizing that God created this. And God says, I know what it is. It's really good. You know why? I made it. But trust me, I know how it is meant to be used. God's saying, I literally wrote the instruction manual on it. I actually created it. I know you think you've got a great sense of your sexual health, but God's going, hey, trust me. I made you, I made that, I made the whole thing. I think Paul hits that because that's stuff that can lead us astray. That we can be seduced by pleasure instead of looking for what's true. 
talks about lust, uncontrolled desire. Desire that we allow to, to be fanned into a flame in our hearts that drives us to do things that maybe we wouldn't. Greed, seeking what we want at the cost of others, being concerned with material possessions. And he roots a lot of this in idolatry where we put other things in place of God. And when he talks about this sin, he says in verse six, because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. Here's what we don't love to talk about. We don't love to talk about the anger of God. We're like, no, where's the fun God that loves me no matter what? And that's true. God does love us unconditionally, but God hates sin. Sin is when we fall short of God's standards. Sin is us saying to God, I don't need you. I can find good on my own. It's our rebellion from God. And we want to diminish the consequences of that until it's not that big a deal. But it is a big deal. Paul's saying that because of, of these sins, the anger of God is coming. We see this cycle of, of desire and sin laid out even more clearly in James 1, verses 14 and 15, where it says, but every person is tempted drawn away and enticed by his own fleshly nature and evil desire. Then when desire has conceived, she brings forth sin and sin when it is full grown brings forth death. It's a big deal. Paul's saying here, our sinful selfish desires are what get us in trouble. Ultimately, they lead to our destruction. And so he says, it's not enough to just set these things aside. It's not enough to just not do them. We have to destroy them, kill them dead. That's what Paul wants us to hear. Several years ago, Aaron Ralston was out hiking through a Blue John Canyon, and he descended into a, a slot canyon, which is this, this narrow little canyon, uh, and he dislodged a boulder, and it rolled down and crushed his right hand against the canyon wall. He hadn't told anybody where he was going. Nobody knew that he was gone. He couldn't move. He was trapped. Couldn't get his hand out of here. He spent five days slowly sipping what little water he had left before he had to turn to drinking his own urine. He was rationing the food that he had, which largely consisted of two frozen burritos. How hungry do you have to be to be willing to eat an unrefrigerated frozen burrito five days later? Very hungry. He eventually realizes, he's run out of food and water, he says, nobody's coming for me. Nobody's coming for me. And so all he has with him is a multi-tool with a two-inch long sort of dull knife. He broke his arm and then amputated his forearm so that he could be free. He was trapped and he had to cut his arm off to be free. He's alive now. They made a movie about it, 127 hours. It's a powerful story. And there's two things that we take away from this. Number one, this is yet another reason why I don't like camping. <laughs> you know where you can't get your arm trapped by a boulder? Inside! But the second thing is that Aaron understood he had to get rid of the thing that would lead to his death. He had to get rid of it. I'm sure he wanted both of his arms, right? I doubt he woke up one morning and he's like, all right, left arm, that's it. I've had enough. One more thing, one more acting up. You're out of here. But he realized he could keep his arm and lose his life or lose his arm and keep his life. And so he got rid of it. Get rid of the thing that will lead to your death. The old life, the old nature is dead. Let it die. 
Which of these desires are you struggling with? Which of these desires are you struggling with? Now, you might be sitting there thinking, well, listen, none of those, none of the things you mentioned, I'm not struggling with any of those things. And I want to challenge you with a couple thoughts here. One is, think deeper. Because we will often stop at the surface and go, no, 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 I haven't done any of that stuff. That's for other people. But dig in deeper. Maybe it is something else for you. Maybe your desire for more has meant that your life can't be fulfilled unless you have a bigger house or, or a nicer car or a better vacation home. What is the, the sinful desire in your heart that is going to lead to your destruction? Is it finding pleasure wherever you want to find it? Is it finding validation from relationships? What is it for you? Because we all have this stuff. We never reach full perfection this side of heaven. We all have this brokenness in our hearts. We all have desires that we think are more important. What is it for you? Paul goes on and he talks about taking off the old self. He says, get rid of destructive behaviors. He says, anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Get rid of those things. And what I find interesting, I think it's significant, that Paul isn't just simply talking about the practices or wicked deeds of the old self, right? He's not just saying, stop doing these things. He's saying, take the old self off completely. This is one of the ways to do that because the point here is not just correcting the wicked practices, but the old self altogether. Dealing with just the practices, dealing with just the behaviors, but not treating the whole self as dealing with the symptoms and not the root cause. Paul's saying it's not just enough to, to stop this, right? If we don't dig this out, it's going to come back. He understands that's what's true about our hearts. I know that there are uh, people who are very particular about their lawns. Uh, I have recently sort of become one of those people. I didn't have a lawn until we moved to Indiana. I did not possess a lawn before and now we have a lawn. And I discovered these like nasty little weeds. Uh, they're called oxalis. They're wood sorrel or sour grass. I'm going to show you a picture. I'm not a biologist, but I'm pretty sure I have this right. I think that's what it is. But you've seen those little yellow flower weeds everywhere. Uh, man, these things, are, these things are insidious. Like any place where the stem touches the ground, it can sprout roots. And so I saw this in our yard last year. And I just decided to mow over it. I'm like, well, I'll just, that'll get rid of it. I'll just mow over it. And, you know, it's just normal stuff. It'll go away. False. Because what happens and why this thing is like, this is like an evil genius of weeds is it grows tall, but it stays low to the ground and it spreads out. And what I realized is once summer comes and the heat comes out, the weeds die. But these weeds soaked up all the nutrients and took all the water and killed the grass. And so when the weed finally died, there would literally be circles. There'd be dead spots in my yard. And so this year, I have a different approach. It's total war this year. I am digging these things up from the root. Every time I see it, I'm going after it because I don't want this stuff in my yard. And that's what Paul's talking about. It's not enough to just run over it with a lawnmower and assume it'll go away. You got to dig into the dirt and pull this thing out at the root. Because sin has a deep hold on us. And that's the only way we get it out is to get the whole thing. Just get the whole thing. Which of these destructive behaviors are you struggling with? What is it for you? Is it anger? Is it rage? Is it slander? What else is it for you? Because these things poison us. 
They don't look maybe at bad at the, at the first, at first glance. And some of you might be sitting there going, well, that's just me. I'm just, an, you know, I'm just a little, an, an angry person. But my point to you is we don't have to be that way. This is our old self. And Paul's saying, take that off. You don't have to be like that. The last thing when he talks about the old self is he says, don't lie. And I find it interesting that he's given two big lists, but he purposefully takes time to mention this one thing. And I think part of the reason for that is that the desire to manipulate, to hide, to shade, to color the truth, it lies at the root of many of these sinful desires and destructive behaviors. A lot of this stuff starts with us lying to ourselves, lying to others. Paul says, take this off. You know that item of clothing you've had for way too long? You know what I'm talking about? It's faded and it's worn out and it's stretched and it's stained, but you just can't seem to get rid of it because you've had it for so long. You know what I'm talking about? I've had these sweatpants since my sophomore year of college. I mean, these are, these are not great sweatpants. I haven't worn them in a long time, but I mean, look, look, look at these things. There you go. That's a good look right there. It's like four pairs of sweatpants in one. There's no elastic left. It's not even the original color, the bottom. It's just, look at that. That elastic has given up on life. They're stained. Like these things are old. And why do I keep them? Because they're comfortable. They're comfortable. They're what I know. I've had them for a a long time. That's what Paul's talking about here. Our old self is often comfortable. It's what we know. It doesn't require us to change but we know at some level that this isn't good enough. We know at some level, I didn't interview for this job wearing these sweatpants. I didn't wear these on my wedding day. You know why? Because I'm not an idiot. This is not a good look. I am aware of that. I am aware of that. I get at some level that this isn't good, but it's hard to get rid of it completely. And what Paul is saying is get rid of it. It might feel comfortable and it might be what you know, but get rid of it. Let it go. Be gone. What are your sweatpants? And I don't mean literally, what item of clothing have you had forever? I mean, what part of your life are you holding on to when you know you should have thrown it out a while ago? What part of your old self are you holding on to? Take off the old self. But Paul doesn't just end there. Right? He challenges us to something better. He says, here is the downside. Here's the negative. This is the old you. But let me tell you about the new you. He says, put on your new self. Put on your new self. And that's more purposeful, active, intentional action. We don't often think about faith this way, but it's a really good picture for us because we put stuff on every day. Faith is no different. We put stuff on every day. My beard didn't look this good when I woke up. That took effort. And I know you guys, I know you folks know that you put stuff on every day. And you know how I know? Because you didn't come naked. Which I appreciate because we do not have that kind of relationship. We put things on every day. Faith is no different. Paul calls us to put on our, a new, our new self. And this is not a self-determined self. It's not us deciding what's good and right and true. It's what God has already decided Because self-denial is at the root of obedience. Saying no to myself is at the root of obedience because when I'm willing to obey, obedience at its core is saying, I trust that someone else knows better than I do. I need to deny that part of that arrogant, prideful, selfish part of myself. 
Taking off the old self acknowledges that following the old self is broken. We determined our old self. God determines our new self. And that might make us uncomfortable, but that's okay. Because as Paul talked about, when we have a relationship with Jesus, when we have died with Christ and been resurrected with Christ, we're made new. And the things that are not a part of his life, Jesus' life, should not be a part of, of our lives. And the things that are a part of his life should be a part of our lives. And he explains what that looks like in this section of verses. He starts by saying, set your hearts on things above. Set your hearts on things above. Desire these things, want these things, pursue these things. And he really means set your sights on the realities of heaven. And I think implicit of that is take your sight off of yourself and look to someone else. Look to the one who knows you better than you know yourself. Look to the source of truth. And really he's saying, keep on setting your sights because we constantly need to do that. It's not on the things that we want or the things that we think or even feel are right, but set your heart on the things of God. In this culture and context, the heart represents our emotions and our feelings and our desires. Orient those to God. Make God true north on your compass. Make God true north. Allow Jesus to shape your whole world, to shape the framework of your life to shape your outlook on the world. It's wanting the things that God wants for you. Set your hearts on things above. And he continues saying, set your minds on things above. Set your mind means think about. Think about the things of heaven. And really, again, it's keep on thinking about. The mind represents will and intentionality. And so he's saying, fill your life with those things. Fill your mind with those things. Orient your will to those things intentionally, purposefully. He doesn't mean you cannot think about anything else. He doesn't mean that you cannot have a life, that everybody needs to join a monastery or a convent. He doesn't mean that. But he means what is the guiding principle of your life? Is Jesus the center point of your life or is he just a small piece of it somewhere on the fringes? When we do that, when we set our minds on things above, our outlook changes. The grid through which we see and experience the world changes. What challenges me when I think about that, setting my mind on things above, is how much time each day I, I spend thinking about movies or pop culture or my fantasy team. Too much for being in fourth place, I'll tell you that. How do I instead think more about who God is and what he's done for me? Because when I do that, I notice a difference in myself. I notice a difference. Paul says, set your mind, your hearts on things above, your minds on things above. And then he says, clothe yourselves. And I love that imagery because it just fits in with taking off the old, put on the new. Clothe yourselves, surround yourself, wear compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, which really just means restraint or bearing with other people, forgiveness, and above all, love. I think it's fascinating that these are the counterpoints to the sinful desires and destructive behaviors he listed earlier. When we do these things well, we are able to live with others better. Just like those sinful desires and, and destructive behaviors hurt our relationships with others, when we do these things well, they cause our relationships with others to flourish. When we do these things well, we experience life differently. We experience life in a richer and fuller way. 
And he ends with love on purpose because it's so important. As he says, it, it binds us all together in perfect harmony. What does love do? It, it sacrifices. It puts others first. It goes the extra mile. It's proactive. It reaches out. And it's in that context that he says in verse 11, in this new life, it doesn't matter if you are Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. When we clothe ourselves in those things, we are able to see how we are more alike than we are different. When we clothe ourselves with those things, purposefully seek to live out compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance and forgiveness and love, we're able to treat people, even people who look radically different than us as image bearers of God because they were created the same way we were. And I'm telling you this, when we do that, people notice. When Christians live this way, people go, what's different about you? What do you have that I don't have? When we do that, we're able to experience a deeper, richer, and more meaningful community because the love of Jesus draws us together. Putting on the new, living that life means getting rid of the old stuff that poisoned us and actively seeking the things of God, filling our lives with him and the good thing he calls us to experience. Think about it like wearing a uniform. Putting on the new is like wearing a uniform. When you join a sports team, they give you a uniform. That's like half the reason to play. What's a uniform do? It identifies you as part of the team. It says, I belong here. It's also designed to help you perform better. Uniform is created to help you function in this role better. You don't see professional baseball players going out in jeans. Putting on the new is like putting on the uniform of Christ. It identifies us as part of his team and it prepares us to live the life that he's called us to live. How do we do that? Well, Paul sums it up, I think, nicely in the, these beginning verses, particularly in verses three and four. He says, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. The idea of being raised to life in Jesus points to our new status in him. Several years ago, I was flying to London to meet with a pastor about a partnership and I was going to bring a, a friend of mine with me because his dad was an airline pilot and he added me to their friends and family list, which meant that I could fly for, for much cheaper. It was very kind of him. And so when he's doing the numbers, you know, a, a plane flight to London is very expensive. And he said, hey, for significantly less money than the cost that, of a regular plane ticket, for significantly less money than you were going to pay, we can fly first class. To which I said, I'm sorry, what? So I asked my boss, are you okay with this? And he's like, you're saying it saves us money. I was like, yeah, it, like, this would be the cheapest way for us to go. He's like, done, do it. So we flew first class to London. And I had always believed up to that point, you know what, it's not that much better. It's not a big deal. No, it really is much better. <laughs> like so much better. Like every subsequent plane flight has been a deep discouragement because I know what I'm missing now. <laughs> it really stinks. And now I've ruined it for all of you and I'm sorry. I can't afford to do that. A first class ticket leaving today, Indianapolis to London, is $12,254 before taxes. Yeah. I can't afford that. My friend's status got me access to things I could never have gotten access to on my own. My friend's 
status gave me a status that I didn't have. I had no way of possible of earning or, or achieving. I couldn't do that. And that is what Jesus has done for us. We have a new status because of Jesus. And that new status requires a new life. And that new life requires a new way of doing things. And a new way of doing things requires a new focus. And that focus is on God first, foremost, and above all other things. Because that new life isn't possible on our own. But God makes it possible through Jesus. Jesus is the power source for that new life. And that's why Paul can say in Colossians 3.10, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Be renewed, put on your new self and be renewed. We're made new in that process. And really it means, it, which is being renewed. It's, it's currently underway when we know Jesus. Our new nature doesn't grow old. It doesn't wear out. It doesn't fall apart. It's never outdated and it's never insufficient. In fact, the opposite happens. Our new nature grows and, and refines and it constantly adjusts and shifts to make us more like Jesus. In place of the old, put on the new self. A self that is constantly made new by the power of God and the work of his spirit to make us more like his son. C.S. Lewis sums it up like this, and this just really challenged me this week. He says, keep nothing back. Nothing that you have not given away will ever really be yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with him everything else. That's why the new self matters. That challenged me this week. So I was spending time in this, man, God really brought to my heart that part of my old self that I'm wrestling with is I'm impatient, particularly with my kids and my family. I'm impatient and not like, a, oh, that's cute. The pastor said something that's adorable. No, I mean, it's, a, it's an issue. It bothers me. I can feel my tank draining and I can feel myself being short with the people that I love most in the world and I can feel my, my capacity limited and I can feel not giving them what I need to do, what I promise to do. I can feel that and I hate that. Maybe I'm just not a super patient person and, and that's true. But the reality is God has called me to be patient and I can't just say, well, God, I ran out seven years ago, so sorry. I feel that. That's the part of my old self that I want gone. And the hope that I have to look forward to is that the new self is freedom from the things that I hate most about me. Those things that I desperately want to be different. Those things that I want to change and just can't seem to on my own that I can actively take that stuff off each day and, and purposely put on patience. It's not gonna be, I'm not gonna snap my fingers and be patient right now. Just like if you're angry, you're not gonna snap your fingers and suddenly not be angry. But I can look forward to the promise that God will work in that if I am willing to let him, if I'm willing to take those steps, if I'm willing to pursue him and fill my heart and mind with him. Life is easiest when I live for myself. It is. Life is easiest when I live for myself, when I put myself first, when I'm selfish. Life is easiest then. But life is most fulfilling when I live sacrificially, when I give it away, when I surrender, when I pursue obedience. That's when life is most fulfilling. And easy sounds good, but given a choice between easy and fulfilling, I want fulfilling. I want something that matters. 
One pastor describes this kind of battle this way. What you feed grows. What you starve dies. And that's what Paul's saying. Starve the old self. Destroy that. And instead feed the new self. Stop feeding the sinful desires and destructive behaviors. Stop feeding the old self. It's going to keep coming around if you keep feeding him. Stop putting out a, a dish of food at the end of every night. Instead, feed the new self. Set your mind and heart on God. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, forgiveness, and above all else, love. Feed that. How do you do that? Well, that's a good question. And the hard thing is, this is a really big idea that Paul's talking about. But some of the things that struck me this week when I was thinking about it, and some of the things that really matter for me is, one, pray about it. Talk with God about it. When I have felt God most at work in my life, when I have felt most connected to him is almost always when I'm out talking with him. I'll walk around my neighborhood at night praying to myself quietly. If you live in my neighborhood and I look creepy, I know that, yes, I'm aware but that's valuable time for me to talk with God and, and to help me reorient my life to him and say, God, what do you want, not what I want? How do I focus on you? Ask others for help spotting those things. What are those things that are true about your old self? And ask for help identifying them. We need help in those things. We can't always see it. Be intentional about it. Be purposeful about it. Don't just give in and say, well, this is just who I am. I'm not gonna change. No, change is possible. Jesus has made that possible. Set goals to accomplish it. Think through what would it look like for me today to die to my old self? What would it look like today to die to anger? What would it look like today to destroy lust? What would it look like today for me to do that? What would it look like for me personally? How can I show patience? What do I need to do? Is it get more sleep? What do I need to do to accomplish that? Lastly, listen to God's prompting. Don't fight him on it. God is at work in your heart and mind if you are willing to not fight him on it. Really, God's going to be at work whether you want him to or not, but one of those ways is going to be much, much more painful. Invite God in and ask him to work on those areas because what we read right here is that he will. Because of Jesus, we can get rid of our old way of doing life and try something new, something different, something so much better. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that that's true. We thank you that you have made us new. We thank you that when we surrender to you, when we know Jesus as our savior, when we know that life, Lord, we have the promise of newness, that we're not trapped where we are. Father, would you challenge each of us right now, me included, where, what stuff do we need to destroy? What do we need to die to? What would it look like for us to put on the new self you created for us. Because that is the life that we long for, even when we don't know it. Thank you that you love us so much to make that possible and to meet us in the midst of it. We pray this in your son's precious name. Amen.